0: chapter 6 verse 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. A warm welcome to the refreshing word of Calvary Baptist Church. You are in for an uplifting time in God's word. Enjoy the message.
1: So may the Lord speak to me, speak through me, speak to you, That we will clearly understand and apply his word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Again, I will say, Amen. Call for committed discipleship. Jesus had been interacting with a lot of people. And a lot of people were following him. Some were following him because of the food he gave them. Some following him because of healing. Some following him because of their own purposes. Friends, it has not changed from that time up to now. But Jesus looked at them, and some of the things he told them, if you hear it today and you are serious about it, you wonder, do I really want to follow him? Do I want to follow him? If he doesn't grant you grace, and if you are not committed, if you don't understand what he's saying to you, you will not follow him. So Jesus saw those who were following him and he had seen them. Then he turned his attention towards them to share these very disturbing and dramatic words. I'm sure if some of us had known that this is what really Christianity is all about, we would not have even started the journey. Or now that we started the journey, there are times we wonder whether we are on the right path. We are on the right path. Because his grace abounds. And as he tells us, anyone, anyone, anyone who puts his hands on the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom. Jesus was telling his disciples and those who were coming, look, I am going to bear the cross for you. My life for your life. Are you also willing to give your life for me? If you don't hear anything else that I'm saying today, The message of a committed disciple or the message that Jesus wants us to know is simple. My life for you. Would you give your life for me? Can you ask yourself that question? He gave his life for me. What am I willing to give? He's not asking to give it. He said your life. I gave you my life. What are you willing to give for me? So he talks about the terms of discipleship or the three things we must do in this passage. The three are very strong. It's must, compelling. You must deny self. You must take up the cross daily. You must follow Jesus. I mean, he didn't mean words. He wasn't looking for one billion people to follow him. That's why you can go back and see that. 12 people who followed him and believed him seriously minus one, made an impact. 70-90% of us are not making any impact or not much impact. Because we don't take him seriously. He died for us. We enjoy it. We are waiting in the heavenly bus to go to heaven. But to do these things, deny self, take up the cross daily, and follow him. What does that mean? When he's talking about denying self, it's like that girl was saying, I can't do the medicine, but whatever the Lord wants me to do, that's what I will do. Do you have the Lord as your savior? Does he speak to you? You may have a will. Are you willing to serve him with what he has given you? Are you willing to say no to self? Then you must take up the cross daily. They are linked. Take up the cross. They knew what the cross meant. It was a form of cruel punishment for notorious Criminals that the Roman government devised. So anybody who was seen carrying a cross had been found guilty by the Roman government and they were going to be crucified and everybody saw it and said, what did they do? And whatever they did, it's a good thing for you to know that when you also do it, you'll go there. God forbid, many countries have uh, stopped that. But assuming we had even some of these things on our books that people who do certain things will be crucified, will be <laughs> killed. Some people will look at it and say, Ah, me, I don't want to go there. Because they will be gone and to be a stigma on their families. So they will not go there. But for the Romans, they did it. And for Jesus, what was the crime? They will normally have the person carry the crime. He was a thief, he was a murderer, insurrectionist. He tried to overthrow the government for Jesus what was his crime Jesus Christ of Nazareth king of the Jews sedition he was trying to overthrow caesar which was not true but they had to frame it so that the government would find him guilty and kill him but so when he's telling you must take up your cross daily what does he mean brothers and sisters he's not asking you to take up your husband or your wife, to be your cross. He's not telling you that the sickness you have is your cross. He's not telling you any of those things. In Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 13, the Bible tells us clearly what some of that bearing of the cross must be. You see, it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought back from the death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness so he's talking about making a conscious effort as to what choices you make you yield to. Because God made us in his image he gave us the senses the sense of smell, taste hearing, we have a mind we can decide, we have a will we can make a decision. But here he wants us to give our will to him it takes positive active behavior and will to deny ourselves to take up one's cross to follow Jesus daily. It's a choice that must be made A person must act, work, get to it, be diligent and consistent and enduring to die to self. It is a tough one. I read Billy Graham's story one time about he went back to where he had preached in Scotland and two people met him. They came to thank him for how he had helped them. One man said, since you preached, I thank God that I accepted Christ. I stopped all the sinful things The drinking, the smoking, the humanizing have stopped. His friend was standing there looking at the man with utter unbelief. Then Billy asked him, what is your story? He said, for me, it's been difficult. I had to struggle every day. When I see the women, the passion comes. When I smell the cigarette, I feel like taking it. And I can tell you that a few times, I have consciously chosen to do the wrong thing. And I know. I have gone to God to confess. So I came to find out from you. Is it supposed to be like that? He, Billy Graham looked at the two men. And told the second one. I'm like you. I'm like you. I also struggle daily. I also feel. I also see those things. Thank God for people like this. Who he transforms miraculously. And takes away their taste. Their sight. And their will is completely yielded. I thank God for them, but I am not there yet. You are my brother. And there are many more like us. If we only will admit that we are instruments that God is working on, our sanctification will be thorough. Which one are you? So what I'm saying when he says, "Take up the cross daily." It is daily choice that you must make. The temptation will come. The trial will come. The songs will come. This will come. But which one do you choose? The disciple, which means a follower, is consciously making a decision. He's not a robot. It's not a stone. It's not a rock. He's made in the image of God. So that smell, that sight, that old limo, that need for money, that ability to take the money and change the figures is there. You're at the counter. Nobody sees you. Thank God these days there are things that are coming out. But people do it and hope that nobody will see them. And as the Bible says, when they are seen, then they start crying. Not because they regret it, but because they've been caught. So you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily. So friends, what crosses are you handling? Are you taking them daily? The two friends who went to Billy or who went to Christ were being conscious of their shortcoming. One thanking God for perfect, sinless perfection, and the one who is saying, I'm still an instrument of God. Which one are you? Then Jesus was telling that you must follow me. How do you follow him? He's gone. How do you follow him? Does it mean follow him like the way you follow a pastor, follow a priest, you follow a political party? If that's what he meant, then you and I would never follow him because he's been gone. But follow Christ It's again a decision and a choice that we make because he's now contrasting those who are his disciples what choices they should make and where their priorities will be. He says a person must follow Jesus. However, a person's tendency to follow someone else and give attention and first allegiance to that person is so paramount. Within this world, there are many things available for us that serves to capture us. For, we put it first. That is why he's asking that we must be consciously choosing him. So there are things that people follow. They are Christians. But to be a disciple of Jesus, you must make certain choices. There are people who give their time to service organizations. Humanitarian organization. Religion. Just running around the church and cleaning it. They will not be home to play their part, but they will be in church doing whatever. Recreation. Entertainment. Hobby. Education. Keep going to school. Accumulating degrees. You are not sure what they will use the papers for. Profession. They are their are, they are desires to build and to build so many homes. They are business. Fame. They want to be known as Mr. This, Madam this. They are comfort. Their clothing, the most expensive one. Look at the brand I'm wearing, the brand of the car. Social acceptance, pleasure. Some are nuts for health, healthy. They don't eat this, they don't drink this, they don't do this, don't do this. And they worship that more than they even worship God. Looks, books, fleshly stimulation. What Jesus is saying that there are many things that people follow in this world. So his instruction to you simply is this. He's not saying don't, like any of this don't be in this world and be a hermit but am I your priority if I say give this up will you give it up if I'm convicting you convincing you that this is not good for you will you give it up when you realize it as you walk with me that this is not good for you will you so Paul can say in the scriptures Demas has left me because he loved this world more than he loved Jesus Christ. There was somebody following Paul. Paul the apostle. Preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. He heard everything. He saw the signs. He saw the miracles. He saw everything. Bam. The man gave up. Left him for the world. Judas Iscariot was with Jesus. He saw everything. He handed the money. Opportunity came. He thought, wow. I can do some 30 shekels of silver. The difference between him and Peter. is That when Peter realized he had sinned. He broke down and wept. And the Lord forgave me. But for Judas, he hanged himself. Don't hang yourself. It's too late. If he says, you must follow me, and I'm following him, and I've strayed, and I've lost my will, I go back to him. There are things that naturally attract animals. They are the wrong things. We are still human beings in the flesh. Things attract us. But when the Spirit of God prompts you, son, don't go there. Don't go to that black bag. Don't follow this man. Don't follow this man. Don't hear that gossip. Do nothing about it. Let Romans 12, 1 and 2 be a living sacrifice. Be your story. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That is what it takes to follow him daily. That is what it takes to be a disciple. Now, Jesus takes time to warn against being a materialistic person. Jesus was such a realist. There's body, soul, and spirit. The Lord created us and placed man in this world. It's a material world. Things that we can see, feel, and touch. And the world is so beautiful. The world is attractive. So if you read the Garden of Eden, it's an attractive place. But Jesus warns against the materialist. What does he mean? It's a person who loves the things that he can see, feel, and touch. I went to the dictionary to look for the meaning, what other thing they say about being materialistic. So here, this is a warning to Jesus. He said, there are two roads: The one that is following me or the one that is following the materialistic world. It is difficult for you to be neutral. It is difficult. But I want you to know this, what it takes to follow me. A deliberate choice. That's why I'm calling you. That's not easy. But to be materialistic, what does it mean? Canal. Greedy, secular, covetous. You can find out more about those things. These are the signs of somebody who is materialistic. It's the things in this world, nothing else. Or they are more important. Greedy. Can, do you think that it's only poor people who steal? No. Some of the things that you hear people doing, is it because they are poor? No. Covetous. Killing, jealousy, all these fans, what they are doing. You have more than enough. What, what is that? Secular. Because of their secular inclination, they just won't want to do anything, have anything to do with God. Is that what it is? Jesus warns you. If you are trying to save your life, you will lose it. But then he goes on to advise them, spend your life for my sake. You have all these things. I have blessed you with them so that you can be a source of blessing to others. So, the story of the rich man who had made his barn. Who was fruitful and productive. And I, and I admire that man. There are some of us who don't know how to turn things around. The man turned things around. And he was so productive. Maybe he yielded hundredfold. His farm yielded. He stored it in barns. And I said, now my soul, rejoice. Make merry. Rejoice. Rejoice. And the Lord said to him, you fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. The question was not whether he had committed any crime. Just his thought pattern. When he was blessed, he didn't think about anybody else. The rich man and Lazarus. He didn't care. Even when the dogs were eating the food at the table, he didn't think that it was good enough to give a biscuit or even food to Lazarus. Is that how we are and what we are? So you are so materialistic that you can tell yourself, look, I made it myself. And I need more. Jesus said, if you try to save your life. And people save their lives. Now I know how some of them do it. They know they may not have all that they want all the time. So they invest in other people. They steal the money and they give it to others. The people they should punish, they don't punish them. Because one good turn deserves what? Another. So if I didn't punish you and you didn't go to jail, even though I saw what you did, one day when I'm in trouble, who will help me? You, because I help you at the term of need. It's an old one. It's called the parable of the unjust steward. Jesus said, the children of this world, after their own kind, are wiser than the children of the kingdom. He didn't say it should be true. He just said, watch out. Then the question he asked the material person, materialistic person, verse 25. So, if you gain the whole world, can you? It's an exaggeration. If you gain the whole world, This is the whole world. When you gain the whole world, where would you store the whole world anyway? Hello, master teacher. If you gain the whole world, so the whole world is yours. From Antarctica to wherever, you have gained all of it. Where would you put it? Where would you be yourself? And you lose yourself. You lose yourself in that. As I was saying, I was standing here looking at some people. When they were coming, I saw them. They looked so small. I said, Who are these coming? It was only when they drew closer as, oh, this is a tall man, this is a big woman, this is this. They look so small. So he said, if you gain the whole world and you, you lose yourself, what good is it? Here he's talking about the soul, the spirit that lives forever. We all know, or we have a sense of feeling that we will not live in this world forever. But where are we going? so jesus is asking a very good question here if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul he's telling everybody look count the cost there's a fork in the road follow me or you follow the material world if you follow me we'll come to verse 27 very soon but then before he gets there he also is kind enough to tell the materialist he asks him a question and that is the question that you and I have to use in terms of our evangelism, in terms of bringing people's mind to Christ. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his father and the holy angels. They know his coming. There are some who are ashamed of Jesus because they don't want to forego anything. They want to be seen to be in the middle of the in group. They are doing what needs to be done. So you are ashamed of Christ to make any commitment. Oh, they made that commitment when they were young. So we did that thing, Scripture Union, when we were young. That thing is for poor people, it's for people who don't have any education. And yet, in the meantime, when you sleep, you are sleepless. Because your brain is taking you to other places about what about the end. But if I come to church now, they will laugh at me. If I dress Sunday morning and I come to church, some Calvarians will even look at me and say, hey, the devil has come to church. What is wrong with our MD? He's no longer sleeping. Hey, look at this prostitute. She has come to church. Sometimes our own attitude towards those the Lord is convincing and convicting. Make it in such a way that they are ashamed not of the Lord, but to be in our midst. Are we like that? Will we change and be welcoming? So he tells, if you just follow this materialistic thing, so he's telling that person, have the courage that following me is the biggest and the boldest of things that you can do. Don't be ashamed of me. But somebody needs somebody to tell him that thing. That he's my friend. And I'll follow him. I'll stand by him. You see, Paul, even Paul had those moments when He had done all that he could do to accept Christ. It was difficult for him to continue because people were jeering at him. It took a Barnabas to go and say, I know this man. I'll stand by him. I'll vouch for him. Will you be a Barnabas to somebody who is ashamed of Christ or seemingly ashamed of Christ and say, yes, I'll help you to stand for Christ. The last of the things that Jesus said, verse 27 Jesus is such a generous master that he does not leave us wondering. But Jesus said, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What does this verse mean? Two or three possible explanations. If you are reading the book of Luke, immediately after that, you read Now, about eight days after these things, he took the disciples, Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And when he prayed with them, what did they see? Wow, fantastic. As he was praying, the appearance of the face was altered, and the clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Yes, they can sleep at the wrong place. But when they became fully aware and saw his glory, the two men who stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So that it is good. They had seen just a little glimpse of what heaven would look like, paradise will look like, Christ in His kingdom would look like, and they were so excited. That even they even the sleep they were sleeping in fact, just vanished, and the guy got so confused. Building three booths, at least he wasn't selfish. They will build the booth. They will be there as a tourist attraction, but he would not have any place to stay anyway, because he was half asleep. That's what he saw. So some say, yes, what Jesus was referring to is that He will allow some to just have a peek of what the kingdom looks like. To encourage you. Because sometimes we need some of those encouraging moments. When the Lord has answered your prayer. When that breakthrough comes. When that healing comes. When that answer to prayer comes. You feel yes the Lord is, my, is on my side. We do not walk by sight. But by faith. But the Lord sometimes allows us to see things. And as for Peter, James and John. Nothing will take this experience away from them. But let's look at other possibilities. Yes you are lost. You don't know him as your Lord and Savior. You come to church today, you hear that he's a healer, he can save you. Save your soul, save you from the world, the corruption of the world. And we say, yeah, the Lord is offering this to you. Can you come? When you come, you begin to experience that joy. That causes you to embark on a journey into discipleship. It's not to the full extent of what we are talking about, but it's the beginning of a journey. Will you come to him? they begin to see the realities of the kingdom because there are some who want to believe and see. There are some who see and want to believe. But Jesus said, when I come into you, then I'll reveal things to you. And you can walk with me and I can walk with you. There are some when you come as a disciple, what is the reward for the kingdom? Spirit-filled living. you fill filling with, with a spirit directing you. My son, go this way. Don't go this way. You learn to live in love. You learn to obey him. You learn to sacrifice. That's how the spirit directs us. So that the things that God wants us to do are not that difficult. There are things that he says, oh, don't follow the world. There are things of the world that when you see them, it almost, you almost feel like vomiting. The spirit-filled living can cause you to have pains, to be disciplined by the Lord so that you be a true disciple who follows him. Will somebody say hallelujah to that? Hey, are you sure? All right. Then he says, look, everlasting life, John 3, 16. It begins from now. What he promises you is everlasting life. What is everlasting life? I don't know. Life without end. So even in this world, you begin to experience it. And of course, towards the end of it all, eternal rewards, that is heaven. I don't have the time today to talk about all these crowns and those things. But what Jesus is telling those who are following him, that it is tough. follow me but I'm telling you I will not leave you without any rewards so let's look at where we started from he's telling people who want to follow him my life for you is your life for me when he said those things he said it before he died and when he died what happened to him he was buried he rose again and where is he now he's still alive Still making disciples up to today. And he's telling you, it may be tough. But if you choose to follow me, there are rewards in this life and in the life to come, everlasting life. But if you choose to follow your own inclinations, and even after all the correction and all the words that I tell you, you do not follow me. Don't blame Jesus. Blame yourself. Today, as believers, there are many things that the Lord would ask us to do. Some of them are minor, some of them are major. Some of them, we like to do them, some of them, we don't like to do them. But the greatest test of all is that we're doing what our Lord wants us to do. May he help us, keep us close to him, that will be truly committed to him and not just pay lip service to follow Jesus because he knows you. And he's not calling cowards to follow him. He's calling people who he will make bold to make an impact on the world. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the joy of knowing that you are our Lord, our Redeemer, and our King. Discipleship is not a class we necessarily attend. Yes, it may be included in that, but there are deliberate choices we make from reading your word and seeking to follow you. Because it's a matter of relationship. Bless your people. For those who need salvation today, give it to them. Those who need to be members of this church, fine. Those who are in those difficult places where the light is not shining, may there be a transformation for a better life ahead. And Lord, may the rewards keep us focused on the goal. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: You... Just heard the radio broadcast from Calvary Baptist Church, headed by Reverend Dr. Fred Egbe. We trust you've been blessed. Do join us on Sunny FM every Saturday from eight to eight thirty PM for an awesome time in the Word of God. Locate us right opposite the Mr. Biggs Restaurant in Adabraka near the Kwame Nkrumah Interchange, as well. We're in Shiashi across the motorway from the Accra Mall. In Oibi, we're near the Cares Valley Event Center at the Goyal Filling Station. Our Amasamain campus is on the Danbridge Montessori School premises near the Amasamain Government Hospital. Again, we're in Botiano opposite the Bortiano Polyclinic otherwise follow us on Facebook at Calvary Baptist Church GH and on YouTube at Calvary Baptist Church TV or email us via Calvary Baptist Ghana at Yahoo.com you can also call us on 024 369 0485 or 0302 231 854 or reach us on WhatsApp number 0200 1-8-1-6-8-0 one God bless you.